Hello, and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I am your host once again, Ray Gerard, and with me in studio today, we're lucky to have Mr. Matt Logan. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, and thank you, Ray. And 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 lucky? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After we get done with this podcast, you may think you're not so lucky. Um, but anyways, uh, Matt is no stranger to radio and Catholic radio. Matt, how long have you been doing Catholic radio? Since before Obama was elected. Oh, so yeah, so quite a while, quite a while. Anyways, this is St. Paul's Letters to America. This is uh, the program that says, hey, what if St. Paul were alive today? What if he were here and actually could write a letter to us here in America? What would he tell us? Um, Well, we kind of know what he would tell us. He would tell us things. We know that he'd tell us things that are true because the truth does not change. It does not change from place to place. It does not change from time to time. Now, today, Many don't even believe there is such a thing as truth. It's hard to believe, but yeah, a lot of people actually do not believe there is such a thing as truth. The truth is what we make of it, they say. Uh, The truth can change. We can mold it to the moment, they say. So how do we know if there even is such a thing as truth? And if there is, how do we know what it is when we see it? How can we recognize it? Well, there are a couple of ways. One is to use our reason to examine and ask questions about what makes sense. Another is to look at what produces good results, what makes us feel peace in our heart. And that is what we do here. So let's get, uh, let's get to it. This program is being brought to you in conjunction with St. Joseph Radio and the St. Joseph Evangelization Network, who kindly lend us their recording studios for this broadcast. Now, before we begin with a letter from St. Paul, we're going to we're going to offer up a, a prayer that, uh, you know, we perhaps, well, I guess if we're always, I mean, we're in, I know I'm in need of a lot of prayer all the time. So, um, Matt, if you'd be so good as to perhaps lead I us, would love to. And you know what takes three to get married? Well, it takes three to do a podcast. We have to invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the of Holy the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, they say where two or more are gathered in your name that you are present. With that faith, we are inspired that as we try to do your will in our lives, that your Holy Spirit will guide us. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit be upon us now and give us the truth. As you said that the sheep will recognize my voice, may they hear truth in what we talk about today and that that truth will bring people closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Yeah, you don't seem to have too much of a problem with offering up a prayer. Oh, it's all to God, my friend. There you go. There you go. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, before we even tell you what our subject is, let's start with a letter from St. Paul. And he wrote once before, and, he, and if he were here today, uh, he, would, he would write the same thing, would he not? For the administration of this public service is not only supplying the needs of the Holy Ones, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Through the evidence of this service, you are glorifying God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and to all others. While in prayer on your behalf, they long for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So what's St. Paul talking about? He's talking about service to others, to the Holy One, service to others, 
And doing that in the obedient confession of the gospel, the reason why you serve others, is because because Christ is, is your foundation. And because of this generosity that you, uh, that you exemplify by your service to others, then others will pray on your behalf. They will long for you because they can see the grace of God upon you. Well, that is a description that fits um, a very public figure that recently passed away, Queen Elizabeth II. There was a funeral for her recently. She was the longest reigning monarch in the history of the British people. She reigned for 70 years, 70 years. And so she passed away, and then there was this funeral. And it was covered on all the major networks here in the United States, ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, the cable news networks. They all interrupted their normal programming to carry the funeral of someone who doesn't really even exercise uh, political power in a country that's not even ours. But they all did that anyway. Why did they do that? And when they covered the funeral, you could see the streets of London, the streets of the countryside that led to Windsor Castle, all just covered with throngs of people. And there were a lot of people from America who traveled to Britain for the funeral. Why? Why all this public outpouring for this particular particular woman? Respect. Respect. And respect for who she was. Perhaps Archbishop of Canterbury could give us a little insight into that. Um, during the funeral uh, ceremonies, he said, in fact, that few leaders have received the outpouring of love we have seen. He said she modeled the servant leadership expressed in the life of Jesus. He said those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. The title of this particular program is The Imperial Servant. She held a position of, of royalty, of majesty. She was an imperial figure. She had this royal uh, office. And yet she's regarded, according to the archbishop, as a servant. She's, she was loved by the people. There was, in fact, an outpouring of affection for her, as the archbishop said. She exemplified many virtues. Many virtues, and we're going to talk about those. But some of the things that people offered up on a website in her honor were, uh, for example, this comment, you were the shining light and hope of this country. I'm sure you're a shining star up there watching over our country and our family. Um, another one, our queen was the cement to our nation. She will be spoken of, loved, and remembered always. These are just a few examples of the kind of real heartfelt affection people had for her. They, they had this sense that she held all of them in her regard, in her heart, that, and they still want to think that she's watching, watching over their nation. There was a sense that she was a queen for the entire nation. She didn't pick and choose sides. Um, why, 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 why? Service and humility. I think that is something that, you know, it's like honey. It draws more bees. It certainly does. It certainly does. And that's how people thought of her. You know, today we live in an age of selfies and reality TV shows. And, for example, if you're in small business, each person has to have their own brand. Uh, we live in the age of Facebook and Twitter. You know, everybody's trying to 
capture the spotlight, right? Everybody's trying to say, hey, come here, look at me. As a matter of fact, uh, the baby boomers were called the me generations. Tom Wolfe, uh, you know, coined that phrase back in the 1970s. Um, and then millennials have been referred to as the me, me, me generation. And here you have a woman who holds this imperial post. She lives in all this luxury and splendor. She's got castles and, and grounds and servants to look after her. And yet she's regarded as somebody who didn't want to grab the spotlight. I think she really did a good job following the footsteps of Christ in the foot washing. Actually, there's the, they have, um, and she had this part to play on Monday, Thursday in the Anglican Church, um, the queen would give gifts to the poor, um, or excuse me, gifts to the elderly. And that was supposed to mimic or be symbolic. What of, did you get? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm an old guy. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. You're not exactly a young spring chicken yourself, my friend. Nope. So anyways, um, but, uh, you know, that was supposed to mimic and be symbolic of the washing of the feet, just Strange that you would mention that, Matt. But yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, but uh, but anyways, um, it was this um, this feeling that people had for her that she was a servant when she, before she was even um, before she even became queen. She was well, this was nineteen forty seven. She was only twenty one years old. And uh, she would become queen five years later when her father died. But still, as, as a very young adult of only 21, on a radio broadcast, she said, quote, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it may be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. God help me to make good my vow. That's how she saw her upcoming role and her life you know, whether her life was going to be long or short, and it was long. She reigned, as they say, for 70 years. But that's how she saw her role as uh, the heir to the throne and then later on as the, as the actual queen herself. She was going to be a servant to the people of Britain, relying on God to give her the grace and the strength to do it well. Do you think possibly that if she was Catholic that there would be a process to start uh, sainthood? Oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, boy, oh, boy. I mean, she lived a saintly life, didn't she? I mean, in many ways. In many um, ways. Yeah. Um, Service, humility. But certainly that outlook that she, that she would have to serve others but relying on God, I mean, that is a very saintly outlook. Well, at the life. beginning I said it takes three. The fact that she invoked the Father. Exactly. You know, yeah. knock and the door will open. Exactly. But if you were just, like, if you were tuned into the TV watching this, this funeral procession, procession uh, you'd hear comments like this. On ABC, for example, they noted that even in the clothes she wore, bright uh, block, block colors, solid colors, so that she could be seen from a distance when visiting a town. To help, I mean, why would you, she didn't wear these colors because she wanted to stand out, but so that the people could see her. It was with them in mind. Uh, for example, on a NBC, um, you know, they made this, you could hear this comment. They referred to her with this, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
on, uh, for example, on the Fox Channel, the former Prime Minister of Canada said, um, you know, that celebrity in a modern age has ushered in a new era of narcissism, but she stood out as, as someone different from that. You know, Jesus is called the Son of God and the Son of Man. He was called the Son of God. You know, if you're, if you're a son, you are obedient to your father. Uh, and, of course, Christ was the prime example of obedience. I mean, he was obedient to the Father, even to a horrible death on the cross. But he's also called the Son of Man. Now, why would he be called the Son of Man? Well, was he not... Uh, Divine he was. Well, yeah, but, I mean, he... Fully he, human as well. I mean, if you're, if you're an obedient son... Obeying your father, serving your father as Christ, working um, as a carpenter alongside your father. You're serving your father. And so, yeah, he was a servant to his earthly father as well, to Joseph, and obedient to Mary, his earthly mother as well. But I don't know that, you know, I mean, this title, Son of Man, I don't think encompasses just that. He was a servant to the human race. He came here to serve. Um, his life was a life of service. It was devoted to us. I mean, so he's the son of man. He's serving. Yeah, he's, he's divine, and he's, he's the son of the heavenly father. But he's also, I mean, it seems a strange term when you first think about it, the son of man. He's higher than us. How could he be the son of man? But he chose he chose to come here. He chose to live a life and a death of service to man. And I think that's what Queen Elizabeth did. She chose um, to be a servant of the people. That was her, um, you know, that was, that was her decision. She was given a role. Yeah, she was born into a role. But a lot of people are born into the role, and they choose not to follow it. Um, who was it? The, 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 uh, the king before her father uh, decided to um, get married to an American. He abdicated the throne. He, he, didn't, he didn't choose to fill the role. You've got, for example, um, you know, uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, grandchild, uh, Prince Harry. Um, he chose to leave the royal family and married Meghan Markle. Um, and now, you know, he's doing his thing and I guess, I don't know, Hollywood or what have you with Meghan Markle and such. But he chose to leave the royal family. People don't always, even if they're given a role, choose to fill it. But she was given a role and she humbly accepted it. So I've watched a lot of documentaries on her life, several, because my wife is really big into the queen and the, and the monarch and imperial, you know, the imperial life. It's, it's a big part of history. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, we all have um, roles that we can either choose to accept or not accept. We all have duties, responsibilities that we can choose to accept. And if it's cinnamon, I always accept it. Cinnamon roll, yes. Cinnamon rolls are good. <laughs> Chocolate is also good and things like, you know, but, <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, but uh, so when she humbly lives a life, well, without really so much regard for herself, but regard more regard for... I mean, you'd have to say that she lived a life of, of service, that she accepted 
I mean, this isn't easy to accept the responsibilities and the duties that is imposed on the royal family, especially when you're in such, you know, uh, public, uh, when you're in public life and you're in, you know, such a public spotlight all the time. And to live it with propriety and modesty, I mean, it's not, it's a lot, it's a pressure that a lot of people don't measure up to, and yet she did. And so what gave her the strength to do that, to live a life of basically, I mean, self-sacrifice? I mean, you know, would you like to just go and, uh, you know, do a lot of other things that are that are fun that other people do, but you think perhaps you can't in case, you know, the camera spots you and and then it causes some kind of minor scandal. That's It's not an easy life to leave. To live. It'd be kind of hard to go bowling as a queen. It'd be, yes, it would. It would indeed. Um, but uh, but you know that's uh, that's uh, that's what she did. Uh, just as an example of an of this, I guess, universal sort of recognition that she did have this sense of service, and that's exactly how she lived for ninety six years. Uh, for example, one of the comments during the funeral on CNN was that. She said she could not dispense justice or exercise powers that, uh, you know, her uh, previous name is a Queen Elizabeth I exercised, for example, but she, that she could give her heart. She could give her heart. That's what she had said, and that's what was noted on CNN. No matter what your political persuasion is, no matter what, you know, um, you know, what place, you know, you come from, people regarded her like this. Um, and, you know, we say we ask these questions about how do you know the truth when you see it, when you find it. And we also say that, you know, Christ lived a life of service. And we had this reading from St. Paul where he talks about, where he talks about service. And, I mean, that is the Christian model. I mean, service only comes about when you look at other people as more important than yourself. And that, of course, is, is the example that, that Christ set. Other people are more important than us. It's countercultural to the me generation or the me, me, me generation. But if, in fact, you know, when you've lived a life this way and then you're and then when your life is over, you're universally acclaimed and loved. Is that not an affirmation of the fact that there is truth in the way that you lived your life? There is truth to be, to be found in following and trying to imitate Christ. I believe truth was imprinted on our hearts, you know, through Christ. And the ones that choose to go to the university of what's in it for me. You mentioned many of the generations that do that, which I believe their their theme song was I, I, me, me, that yeah. looks good, I'll take three. Yes. But the queen, I don't know if it was because of a generational thing, you know, you know, our parents and her parents' parents, they lived differently. They lived more, you know, I won't say morally, but there was definitely a cause and a purpose, you know, to build a better life. And that's what she was trying for her, you know, through her monarch. Well, she was born in 1926. Ah, my father was born in 27. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, okay. Um, And um, so she was coming of a, what, she was a little girl, uh, lived through and experienced um, the Depression worldwide. 
um, and then lived through World War II. And, you know, here in America, uh, the generation that lived through those times has been called the greatest generation. That's quite a title. But anyways, that's, that's, what, that's the moniker that's been laid on that generation. And what's that generation known for? Well, self-sacrifice. You know, during the Great Depression, sure, there was a lot of, there was a lot of sacrificing going on. And um, a lot of people giving, you know, for the benefit of, of others, sharing what little they had along with others because, you know, they're recognizing, hey, everybody, you know, you know, was in the same boat. World War II, there were different, you know, drives. Even people on the home front had to sacrifice a lot of things. You know, you had to ration certain things. Um, that's what that generation was known for, self-sacrifice, the giving of yourself for others. You know, if you live in a, in a time of plenty where you have everything you want, you don't need to live that way. When you live through a depression, yeah, you kind of have to. And, of course, that's another Christian truth, is it not, that suffering brings about, I guess, uh, greater humility, uh, you know, greater closeness to God. Uh, you don't look at the things of this world so much. Uh, you look because you don't have that much, so you're looking for Him instead. As a matter of fact, that's the reason the church, you know, preaches fasting. Uh, not as much as the church used to, but still, um, you know. And that was actually, you know, what um, what drove her. I mean, her faith was based on. Um, her faith was based on, um, you know, her Christian, uh, her Christian faith. I mean, well, I mean, her life was based on her Christian faith. She didn't always talk so much about her own faith, um, but uh, back in 2000, she did. She would give, uh, following a tradition that was started by her grandfather George V in 1932, and then was followed by her father George VI, she would give um, a little radio broadcast every Christmas. It was an annual Christmas broadcast. And in 2000, she spoke of the millennium as the 2,000-year uh, anniversary of the birth of Jesus Christ, who, she said, quote, was destined to change the course of our history. She started to speak out about Christ. Christ changed the history of the world. She's pronouncing that. She's not... She's not a cleric. I mean, she does have an official title of Defender of the Faith, uh, which goes back to um, her, one of her forebears, George um, Henry VIII. That was before he broke away and formed his own church. But the Pope actually gave him the title of Defender of the Faith because um, King Henry VIII wrote in rejection and uh, denial of the teachings of Martin Luther. And anyways, it was a title that, you know, has, has gone down through the ages to all the, the British monarchs. And, um, you know, in the last several decades of her life, she started to try to live that. Um, she said, for example, quote, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God, my own personal accountability before God. Here you've got a monarch worried about, you know, a monarch who's got... You know, I mean, all she has to do is snap her fingers and people are going to do, you know, what she bids. But yet she talks about her own personal accountability before God. And she says that that provi provides a framework in which I try to live my life. And then here, relating to the people, she says, I, like so many of you, 
have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. There are many saints who will point out that there is no love without sacrifice. Exactly, exactly. You can't follow Christ. I mean, what did Christ say? Take, what did he say? What did he say? Pick if up you're your gonna, cross. If you're going to follow me, what did he say? Right. Yeah, picking up a cross is not an easy thing to do. And, and men, treat your wives the way Christ treated the church. You need to die for them. Ah. Putting others first. Well, I'll try. I'm not looking forward to trying to doing that for for Diane anytime soon. But but maybe you're talking about you know dying in terms of yeah yeah exactly putting your own desires and stuff aside. Um, okay, I get it now. I'm a little slow on the uptake, but I get it, <laughs> get it now. Um, but anyways, um, but you know these were the kinds of things um, that she uh, she fell back on the when at a coronation the Archbishop of Canterbury gave her a special book of prayers. And she kept it her, her entire her entire life. Attended church like every Sunday. I guess there was an interruption during COVID, but you know, basically, I mean, this is this is who she was. You know, to give some uh, more examples, um, she said, um, talking to the people, she said, "We sometimes think the world's problems are so big that we can do little to help. On our own, we cannot end wars or wipe out injustice." But the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of goodness can be bigger than we imagine. I mean, what's she preaching there? Charity. Small acts. Don't worry about the big thing. Just worry about, you know, just whoever, whoever you encounter on a given day. I mean, that's Christian. You know, do some good for them. And that's Christian charity. Um, one more. She said, forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. Forgiveness. Lies at the heart of Christian faith. Boy, oh boy, could we listen to that? You know, could some people uh, maybe benefit from listening to that today? I mean, our airwaves, our, our full social media is full of people pointing somebody else out and saying, you said this that was wrong, or you said that that was wrong, and you're a terrible person, and you've got to lose your job, or you've got to suffer this consequence, or, you know, there's so much judgmentalism going on, but where is the, where is the forgiveness? She said about forgiveness, she said, continuing, Quote, it can heal broken families. It can restore friendships and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness, get this, that we feel the power of God's love. When we forgive others, we've... Prodigal son, perfect example. Perfect example. I mean, here you have a monarch, a person who could easily be so wrapped up in herself and preaching these virtues and qualities that are at the heart of the Christian, the Catholic system of belief. Um, there, you know, it is, again, I just say, it is no small coincidence that when she passed and there was a funeral in her honor, basically everything stopped in the United Kingdom. The whole, you know, the whole country, 67 million people strong, were either watching this thing or attending it. And not only people in Britain, but here, every network in the United States had, you know, millions of people watching here in the United States, millions of people watching elsewhere. Why? Why was she so highly regarded at the end? It's because basically she lived according to these principles for almost a century. She was a great light. Almost a century. I mean, to live that way. Um, I mean, I look at my own life, and have I always 
lived according to those precepts? Have there been times when I've been more concerned about me than anybody else? Could I have withstood a, a spotlight with somebody judging my actions every minute, every day? I mean, my goodness. Yeah, there's a reason why. That's what wives are for. That's why, yeah. Um, you know. Um, Sorry. No, that's, yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, and of course, it's, uh, it's not just something that she came up with on her own, that she was, and maybe, I guess, to a large extent she was, but the idea of living as a monarch in the service of God and therefore in the service of his people is not something that, she, let's put it this way, it's something that, yeah, she accepted and, and she chose to follow, but it's not something she invented. Uh, for example, if you look at the um, national anthem for the United Kingdom, God Save the Queen, or now God Save the King, the lyrics include lines like, you know, talking about uh, the king or the queen is long to reign over us. Long to reign over us. Now, why would you sing um, where you hope for some other person to reign over you? Well, if you go further down and uh, you look at some of the additional lyrics, it's because you want that person to live according to God's will. Um, some additional lyrics talk about, Lord, make the nation, Lord, make the nation see that men should brothers be and form one family. And so the whole anthem is, is um, a hymn to a king or a queen that is going to take... Uh, the will of God to heart and serve the people of the monarch's kingdom to serve the people instead. Um, the, for example, if you go to, and you know, the coronation itself, when, when they invest a king or a queen with, with the throne, there's so much um, of a religious tenor to it. Um, for example, at one point, you know, they have to take uh, the coronation oath. And in the coronation oath, um, the archbishop, for example, back in 1953 asked Elizabeth, will you to the utmost of your power maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? That's what, wow. you, that's what you had to swear to. You're the I king, can't. you're the queen, but you got to, you know, live according to the laws of God. No coincidence that she reigned during this time in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, additionally, they, you know, they took the Bible and presented it to Elizabeth saying, Our gracious queen, to you, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, this most mm -hmm. valuable thing, that this, this most valuable thing that this world affords, here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. You can be a king or a queen. You can have total power. I mean, the, this oath goes back centuries when kings and queens held real, you know, um, total power. So when did the political part stop with the monarch? Well, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the you know, parliament, you're going back to the 1600s and so forth, where there was that, you know, great divide where they, they separated things off. But these, um, because you had kings and queens that didn't always live according to the will of God. They, they might have taken an oath that said, hey, this most valuable thing, this Bible, this is the royal law. This is the law that governs you. You may think you're, 
you know, somebody with complete power, but there's a law over you. They may take that oath, but they didn't necessarily already, already always live that way. But yet she did. We um, talked about that this morning in our men's group about oh yeah? the interpretation of Scripture. Okay. So yeah. they were talking about, you know, if you're looking for books or a Bible, look for the impromptu. Oh, the imprimatur. Yes, thank you. Yes. I know, I know a little something here or there that I've... <laughs> um, but you have forgotten more than I know, please. Oh, please. Um, but yeah, if you find a book that has an imprimatur on it, then yeah, it's been it's been judged to be in accordance with with our faith and our beliefs and in accordance with what Scripture teaches us. Sure, that's you know. But and of course, how do we judge books and things? Um, you know, in order in, in order to make that kind of a determination. Well, one of the things that they, they judge it on is hey, is it in accord with what's written in, in Scripture? And that's what these that's what kings and queens had to swear to. And in the coronation, I get a little of this. So in the coronation service, in the coronation service, uh, there was a communion service. Now, of course, you know, we may think that, you know, and, and the church teaches that to have an authentic, uh, to have the real Eucharist, um, you really need to be, you know, within the, the Catholic Church. But nevertheless, they, you know, uh, obviously the people in the Anglican Church, you know, believe uh, that their communion is 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 appropriate. So, just from from the point of view of of looking in terms of what they believe, it's they believe that it's it's authentic. So they believe it's important, and that's why they would then put it as part of their coronation service. Um, and uh, you know, one of the prayers uh, when that's taking place talks about be it for the king or the queen to be devoted unto God with their whole heart. It's not a small thing. Um, there are scripture readings in the coronation service. It is a religion. When you put the crown on a king or a queen, still to this day, it's a religious service. So they don't have separation of church and state, or is because they're not no in, they're not in politics. I mean, not as far as the not as far as the uh, not as far as the king and queen are concerned. The king and queen. I mean the. The queen and the king still have the title of defender of the faith, and when they, when they get, when they, when they are crowned, they have to take these oaths and these prayers are said over them, and they have to make these commitments and 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 swear these these allegiances to fulfilling this duty of following the the law of God. I mean, no, it's 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 entirely tied together. Um, along with the communion service, what do they have? What does the king and queen have to do? King or queen have to do? They go to confession. This lofty person, this person with the highest position in the land, has to go to confession and receive absolution. Why? Because there's a higher power. And it's these types of things that Elizabeth believed. And it's these types of things that were the basis for her life. And it's because that these types of things were the basis for her life that she was so generally acclaimed as a good person um, and was so loved by the people. You don't get universal acceptance and respect unless you're living a life in accord with, excuse me, the truth. Earned. It has to be the truth. And has respect to be must truth. be earned, they say. It has to be earned. But it's, it's these Christian beliefs of humility, 
self-sacrifice, service to other people that are being that were affirmed by her life and the regard and and the judgment of her life that people made. If everybody liked her, um, and you know, really nobody had a bad thing to say about her, it's because she was living in accord with the truth. If she wasn't, you wouldn't get that kind of universal acceptance at the end of your life. And and you, when you look at her life, you'll you find these, you you find that her faith was at the center of how she was trying to live. You know, if one of the ways you judge the truth, I mean, we start this program with, hey, how do we know the truth when we see it? If one of the ways you judge the truth is, um, does everybody agree with it? Is it likely that people are going to have, you know, dramatic disputes where people are completely opposed to each other on a particular thing? Well, it may be that, you know, um, well, somebody's not right. If there's a complete division, somebody's not right. Um, but if everybody agrees, is it not more likely that they all recognize one thing is as acceptable because that one thing is true? And uh, so anyways, I think we can find in this, in this reaction to her life an affirmation of the things that she lived by. And what were those things? The Christian virtues. Christian virtues. And the fact that she had a light. People are drawn to a light. People are drawn to a light. And what was her light? Her light was obviously her Christian faith. Exactly. Exactly. And if you think, okay, well, she's loved in Britain. Okay, well, they're Brits. So why wouldn't they love her? Well, uh, you know, Britain has had a long history of colonialism, of subjugating people, oppressing people. I mean, the British Empire for a long time has, has done a lot of that. Um, and um, 38%, for example, somebody did a poll in the United Kingdom recently, and they found that 38% of non-white UK citizens uh, wanted the country to remain a monarchy. 38. A great majority didn't. And they think that a lot of the reason for that is because of this British colonial history. I mean, if 60% of these non-white you know, United Kingdom citizens, if 60%, 62% don't want the monarchy to continue, it's because... Um, and the, the thinking goes, that they associate it with this, this oppression, this subjugation of, of people over the centuries. But, for example, this one woman, uh, Raksha Sanal, she was a, she's a woman of South Asian heritage. Um, she attended the funeral to pay tribute to a, quote, amazing woman. She said, I think the queen is separate from that, the colonial history of oppression. She said, yeah, there was history there. There was colonialism but I think she made a difference and changed that. Well, why would she be seen that way? Instead of an oppressor, why would she be seen as being separate from this long lineage from which she came? Because the virtues she lived by. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it all fits together. There's another uh, person, uh, Yusra Sali, 30-year-old uh, native of Sudan. He said... We are very fond of the royal family. Despite its unsavory colonial history in Sudan, quote, there are no hard feelings at all. We are Muslims, we are Arabs, we are blacks, we are Africans. We are a whole mixture, you know, but we, we uh, are a whole mixture of things, but we feel like our voice is getting heard. Getting heard by who? 
getting heard by Queen Elizabeth II. That's why they attended the funeral. She, went, she was the first British monarch to go to a mosque. She, uh, she visited a Hindu temple. She didn't differentiate between people. She saw her role as the monarch of all the British people, whatever their background, whatever their ethnic you know, origins. She didn't judge people or, 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 or cast certain people aside or look at certain people as more important. And when you've got a monarch who's got all this prestige and so forth and still does that, yeah, then everybody recognizes you. Um, the Pakistani person who said, uh, quote, yeah, he, he says this. He goes, she never minded w- about which race, which color, which, uh, which religion. She's really a mother of nations. I mean, this is how they thought of Queen Elizabeth. There's a social policy uh, analyst there uh, in the UK, Rakib Isan, who said her message of, empathi- of emphasizing family, get along this, her message of emphasizing family values, the comfort that comes from community, devotion to faith, and how faith can be a source of resilience and optimism, that's not something that will only appeal to Christians. Why would it have universal appeal? Because it's true. I wonder how many atheists attended the funeral and loved and respected the queen as all these people that were quoting. I would like to think that they would have recognized something, you know, that light is always bright. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, um, if you... If you, you know, if you go to mosques, if you accept Muslims, if you, if you don't pay attention to race or ethnic background, and you're this high-standing person that could easily look down your nose at other people if you wanted to, but instead you accept people from all different, you know, uh, backgrounds, then yeah, you're going to engender that kind of that kind of respect. With, you know. Um, you know, I mean, would she, I mean, did she, you know, uh, accept atheists? Well, if she regarded herself as the queen of the entire country, why not? Maybe, you know, and I think I think you and I feel this way, Matt. Um, okay, we've got our faith. I mean, obviously she had hers, and we've got our faith. But, I mean, do you not accept atheists? Do you harbor any ill will or rejection for people who don't believe? No. Um, evangelize. Evangelize. Um, I, you know, I mentioned this before, but I, you know, ran into a, a situation where I was at a business conference and I was in a bar and I was talking to a guy, and he basically said, "Yeah, I don't believe." And uh, we ended up talking for three hours after that because I said, "Oh, well, that's cool," and he very much got this. And I said to him, I, because I had this confidence, you know, I, I said to him, "I said, look, I said." You know, if you look for answers, you'll find them because there is a God and he'll talk to you. If you look for answers, you'll find them. But, you know, okay, where you are right now, you know, what you believe right now, that's cool. That's fine. So I didn't judge, but I had this confidence. And like I said, we ended up talking for three hours because that was appealing because I did not judge. He said, you know, all you religious people, uh, you just want me to, you know, you all, you know, want us to join, you know, your particular church because you've got this particular kind of a thing and you insist that we got to believe the way you believe and so on and so forth. And I said, no, I'm not going to insist on that, you know. So 
if she had a, a and I think that's the Christian way of, of, of dealing with, with people. You accept people. I mean, there were people in Christ's day that were rejected, and he didn't. Good he, Samaritan. Good example. Samaritans, uh, tax collectors, whatever. He accepted them all. Um, and uh, so, you know, if that's the— and, if that's the Christian way of, of acting, and I think it, it, certainly, it certainly is, and she really um, believed her, her, her Christian uh, teachings, and it, from everything we, we can see, she certainly did, then I'm sure she would have felt the same way. She wouldn't have rejected people if you happen to be an atheist. Um, but you know what? Another thing that occurs to me, why the monarchy? Why the monarchy? Why do people still like the monarchy. I would say tradition. Tradition, sure. Um, you know, it's just because it, you know, it's just this this force of inertia, right? Status quo, it's been there, right? you know. Um, but maybe there's something else as well. Let me toss this out. You know, it's funny. I'm watching this procession, the funeral for Queen Elizabeth, and you've got people from America that went there. People traveled from America. She's not our queen. And yet they traveled to go there. Um, there's a certain pull, I think, for maybe not the monarchy per se, but the monarchy when the monarch is a good servant, when the monarch is humble, uh, when the monarch regards himself or herself as a servant of the people. There's a pull to that. There's something that emotionally pulls us towards that. And I don't know, but I'd, I'm going to submit this. Does that not stem from our desire to have, to feel like, and to have, a, a, you know, a, a feeling that there is someone above that is kind and good and loving, and that a king or queen can maybe sort of fill that role as a person here on earth. I mean, that's how they regarded kings and queens invested with divine power as somebody that was, you know, instituted by God to, you know, uh, be a, you know, be a, a ruler of people here on earth. Um, yeah, I think there is something in the human condition that yearns for something above that is kind and good and loving. And that's why we're so disappointed when a king or a queen or somebody in authority, somebody with a position of authority is not kind and good and loving. Somebody who is more concerned with their own personal interests, maybe their own, you know, uh, attributes of power. Maybe they look to make money from a from a political office, as opposed to someone who's a true servant of the people. Maybe that's why we're so disappointed, you know, in those people. And I submit again that if, in fact, there is this part of the human spirit that wants something above, that recognizes, not just wants, but recognizes that there is something above that is kind and good and loving. Um, it's because there is something up above. There is someone up above. Everyone has that hole in their heart that can only be filled by God. Absolutely. And when they choose other routes, then we see the situation that we're in today. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. That's exactly right. Um, you know, but it's... It's when, you know, we have somebody in authority who is, you know, um, who does live the, the Christian lifestyle and regards other people as more important. They don't try to impose their will on the people, but instead try to live according to 
the will of the people because they put the people first. Those people are, are so beloved, as the archbishop said. Uh, people who cling to power won't be remembered. Um, but, you know, um, you have to, if you're going to do that, you have to have a certain amount of humility. You have to recognize, even though I've got all this power, that power's not going to last forever, that uh, there is some power that's, that's higher than me, um, and uh, you have to have a certain amount of humility. Did you know the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, used to eat her breakfasts, breakfast cereal out of a Tupperware bowl? There were chairs in her private residence uh, where the, um, the fabric was frayed. I mean, she didn't insist on being surrounded in her private residence now. The chairs were worn um, and a little tattered. You know, I mean, oh, I'm the queen. I'm the king. Fix that thing. Get that thing out of here. Why would she be comfortable with that? There was a genuine humility about the woman. Modesty as well. I mean, doesn't Francis kind of exude some of those traits where they talk about how more simple he wants to live? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you have to. But that comes because you recognize there's something above you. Um, and, you know, we, what is that? So, okay, you tell the story about the queen eating off a Tupperware or, you know, having chairs where the fabric is frayed. There's something appealing about that. Did you reach out to Tupperware to sponsor this? <laughs> um, I don't know. Is Tupperware even, as a company is even still Are around? you having a party at your house <laughs> after this? That's, that's right. I'm a Tupperware person. Um, you know, why is that? Well, because a lot of us don't have all kinds of material goods. And as a matter of fact, our faith teaches us that, hey, valuing material goods is not the be-all and end-all. That's not what we should be about. And apparently, again, this is another example of how, yeah, she believed that, didn't she? She believed that. Almost the moral of the story here is that the sooner people realize that they have no power unless it came from, from God, God, there, you know, in lies the big difference on how people live. Absolutely. Yeah. If they realize that, it, they're humble. Yeah. So we have to realize that, and that, that's true for all. All of us, isn't it? All right? You have to realize that all we have comes from him. Um, use it wisely. <laughs> use it wisely. Right. And use it to serve him. You know, I had something uh, just this past week uh, that, that occurred uh, in my own life that was hard. It was a hard thing um, to have, a hard thing to experience. And... I don't know, I think for the first time, like, ever, um, I sincerely gave thanks for it. And then after that, it worked out, uh, or it seems to be working out. Um, and, uh, you know, it just felt so right to give thanks for it. I mean, I don't have to suffer a lot. There's pe There are people... Okay, I, it was a hard thing. Uh, believe I don't even know what hard things are. I mean, there are so many people that know hard things so much more than I do in my life. Um, you know, but, uh, and, and certainly St. Paul, for example, experienced a lot of hardship. And nevertheless, 
You always give thanks for it. Because why? I mean, what you're talking about, Matt, it's like, yeah, you have to recognize that everything comes from above, whether it's good or bad. And when you feel that way, there's genuine peace that comes from it. Store your treasures above where the moths can't get to it. Exactly. Exactly. And you just inspire me to give thanks for this walker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to offer it up, but to give thanks, that's something I need to do. It's a hard thing to actually give thanks for it. Um, yeah, personally, I do believe that, you know, because I've been sick and almost died before, only to see hindsight that it was the biggest blessing ever. So I can't wait to find out what this is going to bring. <laughs> you know, if it brings you closer to God, if it helps you, real, and you're not in your head there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, if it brings you closer to God, uh, there was one time when uh, I was laid up in a hospital. I've never hardly been in, ever really in a hospital. Um, but I, um, there's one time, one time in my life when I, you know, had to be overnight in the hospital. And I had blood clots in my lung, and I didn't know about it. And That's serious. It is serious. And so I came kind of close, I guess, to, you know, an ending. Um, and... Uh, and I really felt close to him at that point, you know, because you, you're lying in a hospital bed there, wheeling you around, and you know you're, you know, you're not this this person that is control of everything around you. No, instead you're being wheeled around, and people are looking after you, and you really don't have the ability to do much of anything for yourself, and you feel very powerless or very vulnerable and weak, and yet there was a real feeling of getting closer to God with that. Um, yeah, yeah, so anyways. But, um, so that's our reflection on uh, the life of Queen Elizabeth II, the imperial servant, um, who lived a life um, according to her Christian faith um, and lived according to, you know, what St. Paul was was talking about. Something St. Paul recognized, that service to others is really thanksgiving to God. And that, you know, other people will recognize that. They will pray for you, and they will long for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You exemplify that. You talked about being a light to others, Matt. Yeah, if you live according to these Christian virtues, you are a light for other people, and people see that that light is really the grace of God upon you. And they want it. And they want it. And so um, that's that's our program this time around. Now, we thank you very much for listening. We hope you'll, you'll join us again. Um, and until you do, until the next time, may God bless.